love them, you hate them, and you can't stop talking about them. Announcers, analysts, pundits, they're all fair game. It's Sports Media Mayhem with Alex Reamer. Time to let it rip. Hello, everybody, and welcome in to episode number two of the Sports Media Mayhem podcast. My name is Alex Reamer, as you heard in our very legit and very excellent opening. Uh, great to have you with us again here as we look to get this little pod off the ground. Each and every Wednesday, you can find a new episode wherever your favorite podcasts are published. Coming up in a few moments, you'll hear my conversation with Sean McDonough. Uh, He's right in the middle of calling the Stanley Cup playoffs and the Stanley Cup finals, but he was kind enough to take some time and join me on the show this week to talk about his experience calling the NHL for the first time in nearly two decades, how he's liked calling the Stanley Cup finals so far, his thoughts on the Tom Brady deal with Fox, anything he would like to accomplish uh, as his career moves forward here, and a whole lot of other things in between. Sean McDonough, that's coming up in a few moments. You don't want to miss it. But I want to start off the show here this week with a couple of opening takes, beginning with NBC's horrific coverage of the U.S. Open, which happened over the weekend, played at the Country Club in Brookline, right in my backyard. Now, I've actually never stepped foot onto the greens at the Country Club, but I did used to live in a basement apartment in Cleveland Circle, which is not too far from the Country Club. So there you go. It was kind of like in my backyard. Uh, We had local boy Keegan Bradley in the hunt for a lot of the weekend as well. Uh, Keegan Always will have a special place in my heart. His mother worked for my father for many years, and he used to call my high school radio show. That's right, because his mom's job depended on it. <laughs> no, but he, seriously, Keegan Bradley, just when he was starting off on the PGA Tour, used to call some smarmy high school kids sports radio show to ask about the Red Sox. So Keegan is a great guy, will always be a great guy in my book for doing that. Uh, the problem is, though, As I said, Keegan was in the hunt for a lot of the weekend, Saturday in particular, but yet NBC didn't show much of him. Keegan Bradley basically disappeared from the NBC broadcast. Um, (laughs) Why? Well, they were too busy showing commercials, too busy with prepackaged segments, too busy with Zoom interviews with Brad Faxon. That's what NBC was worried about. They were worried about showing everything except the golf over the weekend, and when they did show the golf, it was full of errors. Early in Sunday's round, the NBC showed its leaderboard on the screen. It showed that Scotty Scheffler sank a birdie to take the lead. The only problem is the viewers hadn't seen the putt yet. So what? Scheffler's in the lead? How did that happen? Oh, now I'll show you the birdie several minutes later. And it's the definition of anticlimactic because you know it's going to happen. So just a complete mess, and I really think that NBC wrongly approached the U.S. Open like the Olympics. The Olympics, of course, packaged for prime time. Most people out there don't know about curling or bobsledding or these other obscure sporting events. So you make it about the storylines. You have the prepackaged segments, a lot of talking time, not a lot of actually showing the action and diving into the action. It's a show, not a sporting event. And NBC took, it seems like, a similar approach with the U.S. Open, which was the wrong one, because people who are dedicating large portions of their time over the weekend to watch the U.S. Open want to see, you guessed it, the U.S. Open. So a bad move by NBC to treat this thing 
like they treat the Olympics. Bad, bad, bad. And to add to the annoyance, you had to play remote control gymnastics. First round Sunday was on Peacock at 9 a.m., then it jumps to USA Network at 10, then it moves to NBC at noon. Network executives love that. They love the synergy, uh, but the viewers, the viewers are the one who lose out. The viewers are the one who lose out, and they certainly lost out over the weekend at the U.S. Open. Uh, the NBA Finals also lost out <clears throat> in terms of ratings. Uh, game six, final number there, 13.9 million viewers to see the Warriors defeat the Celtics at the Garden. Now, on the surface, if you just look at it compared year to year, it looks great because that number, 13.9 million, is almost 12% up from viewership of last year's Game 6 between the Bucks and Suns. That was also a clinching game for Milwaukee. And it blew the 2020 NBA Finals out of the water as well. So you say, great, best final ratings since 2019. They should be celebrating in the NBA offices. Well, mm, nope, not so fast. If you dive further into the numbers, this year's finals kind of tanked uh, because if you look at the last two finals, 2020 and 21, they were not normal. In 2020, of course, we were playing in the bubble, no crowd, no drama, playing in the fall as well, a much more competitive TV period, NFL, so can't compare it to 2020, throw that out. I mean, that's a year that we would all like to forget anyway, so we might as well forget the ratings to the NBA Finals. And then last year, yeah, Bucks Suns was played on an actual basketball, in an in actual basketball arenas. There were actual fans watching the games, yes. But game six was played July 20th. Yeah, that series started over July 4th weekend. I remember watching one of the games bleary-eyed in P-Town. <laughs> I mean, yeah, July 20th. This is the first year since 19 that the finals actually took place when they were supposed to early to mid-June, and the numbers disappointed. And that's especially bad for the NBA because the 2019 finals were between the Warriors and Raptors, and the Raptors play in Toronto. So people who watch the Raptors in Canada, they don't count in the Nielsen ratings here. And game six of those finals, compared to this year, this year was down 24% in viewership from last from 19's game six again down 24 percent and again that series included the raptors whose numbers don't even count in the u.s and there was this tweet going around as well that showed that game six of the world series between the braves and astros drew 14 million viewers so baseball's dead right haha i mean it's something that we talk about in boston all the time Red Sox are dead, Red Sox are down, but yet they continually outdraw the Celtics and Bruins on TV. The NBA gets more buzz than Major League Baseball. There's no doubt about it. They have the superstars, they're the cultural cachet, they're all over ESPN, they have the social media reach, but yet that buzz doesn't translate to eyeballs. There is a disconnect in the NBA when it comes to people following the action around the league and watching the games themselves. And I think this year's finals numbers are a perfect example of that. On paper, you had a series with a lot of storylines. Warriors going for their fourth championship. Steph Curry went off, was at the top of his game against the Celtics. Tatum's first championship. Marquee franchise. Probably the best NBA finals matchup that could have happened once the final four existed. And the ratings tanked which shows that disconnect between the buzz that the league creates 
and actually the people who sit down and watch the games themselves. So there you have it. Those are my two opening takes this week. Disappointing U.S. Open coverage from NBC. Even a golfing novice such as myself noticed that. And disappointing NBA Finals ratings. But you know what is not disappointing? My conversation with Sean McDonough. That's coming up on the other side. Thank you for listening. And we're back here on the Sports Media Mayhem podcast. I mentioned Sean McDonough joining us from his wonderfully, wonderfully a backlit hotel room, I might add. Sean, it's great to see you. How are you? It's good to see you, Alex. I'm doing fine. Yeah, I spent a lot of time, as you can tell, on the lighting. Didn't spend any time on shaving this morning. As we're chatting, it's an off day in the Stanley Cup playoffs. So, you know, I, I go along with the hockey theme of the playoffs. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we will be shaving in advance of the game tomorrow night. But for today, it's a mostly relaxing off day. Well, you, uh, well, you did put on a dress shirt for the interview, which is more than what I did. So I appreciate that. No worries. Yeah, I probably should have gone with the stuck with the casual T-shirt. Since I do have a bathing suit on, given that we're in Tampa and it's an off day, might see the pool for the first time in two months. That, that's that's not bad luck. Brian, there's not a lot of free time and not a lot of these uh, off days in between with nothing to do. So we're going to try to take advantage of it. Yeah, it's not a bad luck. The full long sleeve dress shirt and the bathing suit right down to the pool. I, yeah, you know, a lot of times, you know, anchor people on TV, as you know, you'll have the jagged tie and then underneath the desk, they have a pair of shorts on jeans or something like that so i uh, will rock that style for your podcast i love it i'm honored so um also it's been great hearing you back calling the nhl and the stanley cup um you know you're away from the game for nearly two decades in the booth i'm just wondering cup finals almost over how long did it take you to get your comfort zone back calling nhl games uh longer than i thought it was going to yeah. okay. in all honesty because you know, usually, as you know, I do these sports kind of in a 12-month calendar, you know, baseball, and then that goes into football, and that would go into basketball and a little bit of golf in there, too. And, you know, usually when you transition into the next one, you it might take half of a game or something before you yeah. kind of like you're back into the lingo, yeah. the rhythm and flow of that sport. Uh, hockey, for a lot of reasons was tougher a it, it hasn't been you know eight months it's been 17 or 18 years since we had the hockey the game has changed a lot since then for the better it's faster uh which makes it more difficult to call you know it was already fast but you know, yeah. these guys are moving in the puck that they're moving and the vantage point that we're calling the game from you know you're probably too young to remember the old Boston Garden, but you know the broadcast booth there was in the front row of the balcony, which hung right over the ice. You could hear the players talking to each other. You were that close. You know, now most of these buildings, like here in Tampa, the, the rink is on the first floor of the arena, and uh, the broadcast booth is on the seventh level. So basically, you're seven stories up. You know, look, almost like you're looking out a seven-story window at something that's happening down on the street and trying to be sure if that little puck. Uh, hit the goalie or missed the goalie or hit the post or didn't hit the post or so sometimes uh it's kind of a rough guess and and that part is still frustrating but um you know it just took a while because when we started back in october which seems like a million years ago the you know we were doing a game about every three weeks and it's hard to get into much of a flow with new people that you've never worked with before so, you know, once we got going, obviously, once you get to the playoffs and you're going every other day, basically, for yeah. two months. Yeah, if you haven't gotten into a rhythm and flow by then, you're never going to. Do you do you get, like, an extra charged-up feeling when you enter in a buzzing arena during a playoff game? Or at this point in your career, is it, like, kind of been there, done that? 
No, I think if it's been there, done that, it's time to go. Yeah, you know, that's I'm true. Doing it, you know, it, and it's really the reason that I wanted to do this. Yeah, love hockey. Grew up loving hockey, but three years ago, when the Bruins were in the Stanley Cup Final in 2019 against St. Louis, I went to a bunch of the home games. I went to Game Seven at the TD Garden with some buddies of mine. I remember looking up at Mike Emmerich across the way, and I even said to my friends, yeah, wouldn't it be awesome to have a chance to call this someday within this atmosphere? I mean, that building was so alive. And it really is that way for playoff hockey all over the place. I did a radio show the other day, and someone asked me, you know, what's the liveliest arena for these playoffs? And they're all the same. They're all as noisy and energetic as you could possibly be. You know, here in Tampa, Colorado, you know, even earlier in the playoffs, Carolina is absolutely crazy. You know, that yeah. people wondered if hockey was going to work when they first got there, down there in the triangle, and it's working for sure. So it's been a lot of fun, and you feel the buzz every time you walk into the building, and that's part of what makes this super exciting to do. Yeah, and, you know, I am curious, like, always with people like yourself who have been at the top of the industry for so long, and, you know, I'm just curious what, because, you know, I'm only 29, but I feel like I may be, a bit of a creature habit where going out of your comfort zone, not everyone's favorite thing. So what made you say when ESPN came to this offer, like, yeah, like, I want to get out of my comfort zone and do something that I haven't done for many years, as you mentioned, because I don't think a lot of people in your position, not to, you know, blow smoke up your ass, but I don't think a lot of people in your position would necessarily want to do something like that. Oh, I really want to do it. I love hockey. You know, grew up loving hockey back to the days of Bobby Orr and um, loved doing college hockey for Nesson, loved doing the Olympic hockey for CBS back in 98 over in Nagano, Japan, and really enjoyed when we had the NHL on ESPN up until 17 or 18 years ago. So in all those years in between, I've been hoping it would come back and that if it did come back, I would have a chance to do it. As a matter of fact, when I heard, I guess it was a year ago, March, that we had the rights to the NHL, I immediately texted Jimmy Pitaro, who's the president of ESPN, uh, to say, I really want to do this. You know, I love hockey and love the Stanley Cup playoffs. There's nothing better than the Stanley Cup playoffs. And thankfully, he texted back immediately and said, I'm glad to hear you're interested. And, you know, you'll be one of the people we consider. So really glad that it worked out. But no, to me, it's an honor to do this. You know, it's a yeah. bit really long winding career but you know 30 years ago i did the world series for cbs when i was 30 years old and to think you know 30 years later you get another chance to do one of the big four if you will uh the stanley cup final yeah at age 60 it's with a lot of great events in between uh you know i've been blessed beyond measure and and to have this opportunity at this stage of my career has been awesome yeah and i guess this kind of applies to the Stanley Cup playoffs, but certainly applies to the NFL. And I think actually the first time we ever got into contact is I wrote a little article about you. I called you the bravest man in broadcasting because you criticized the officiating <laughs> football. Um, what happened? I, <laughs> not long thereafter, I wasn't doing football anymore. So uh, <laughs> I, I think that's more coincidental than anything, to yes. be honest. But like watching the NBA finals, you know, NBA especially, every call can be debated. And you go on Twitter and it's always, you know, why did Van Gundy not rip the refs here? They ripped the refs wrongly here. And it goes for the – and I've always been wondering, though, like for people who watch the games, obviously, the officiating is a huge factor. People talk about it all the time. But as like a broadcaster, how do you handle that? Because it's what people are talking about, but there are rights agreements. And then also like 
It, you can get tied down in minutia too if you're too rough focused. So just especially watching the NBA playoffs, I was just folk, uh, interested to ask you. Yeah. You handle that kind of thing. Well, I do think, you know, the officiating is much more a part of the NBA than it is the NHL because, yeah. you know, they're blowing a whistle every couple of seconds, you know, and uh, those players are so big and fast. Not that the NHL players aren't because they are. It's part of why I think the game is better than ever because the NHL players are bigger, faster, stronger than they ever were before, which is true of the other sports too. But the in our case, uh, you know, I think as I've gotten older, you know, I still, to what you just said, Alex, and you and I have talked about this before, you always, to me at least, as a play-by-play person, you want to be talking about what you think the viewer at home is thinking about or saying to the people around him or her as they're watching the game. You know, if they're sitting at home thinking, wow, that was a bad call, or why did they call that, or why didn't they call that, then we should be talking about that too. What is helpful to us in this hockey season is that we have Dave Jackson, who's a former NHL ref in our booth, and he's done a remarkable job. I mean, he had never been on TV before October, and, and you know, in this business, people would be shocked, you know, when ex-players or ex-coaches come in to be analysts. I'm sure the perception from people at home is, well, they get coached up and they do a bunch yeah. of practice and they you know and that is rarely true most of the time they say here's your assignment the game's on this day you're working with him him and her and show up at seven o'clock and huh. do the game so but dave has been terrific so when there is a rules issue we really bring in him yeah. and disagree with his explanation i mean he's an expert and what i like about him is he's not you know he's just not there to protect the officials right he's not there to harangue them either and I think he's done a great job of when he has disagreed with a call saying, I don't agree with that. And here's why. And if he's agreed with it, he said that was a good call. And here's why. So what I try to do with him more is just ask him about the mechanics of it. You know, we had a replay in the big call in game three of the Stanley Cup final when Colorado scored the first goal and then Tampa Bay challenged it because they thought the play was offside before the goal. And it took a long time for the coach to decide, John Cooper, that he wanted a challenge. And then it took a long time for the review. So, you know, I try to ask Dave things like, well, how much time does the coach get? I mean, they were almost about to drop the puck yeah. for the face off and count the goal when he challenged it. So things like that, you know, that you might be thinking about at home. Boy, that took a long time. Or how much time does the coach yeah. get? But uh, but Dave is really there to handle. That was a good call. That was a bad call. Yeah. It's very rare that I disagree with him. And why would I? He's the expert, right? I mean, he's done this his whole life. Yeah, but it, it, I mean, it is something that you have to keep in mind because, as you said, it's what ninety-five percent of people watching. What, what what was up with that call? You know, right. it's and the bigger the game, the bigger the series, like the Stanley Cup Final um, or the NBA Final, the fans, especially the fans of the two teams, are obsessed with the officiating. Both sides think they're getting screwed the entire time, and then. The other thing that we deal with on my end is both sides are convinced that you're biased against yes. the team and you're in favor of the other team. Yes. I don't do Twitter, as you know, but uh, it's funny to get the feedback from people that, uh, you know, and I guess when you have an equal number of people on each side who think you're biased for or against their team, then, you know, you really are calling it straight down the middle. But I've done a lot of hockey games in these playoffs, and I promise you I don't give two craps who wins. Well, I may or may not have Twitter searched your name before our chat, Sean. And I will say a lot of Lightning fans think you're in the bag for the Avalanche, and a lot of Avalanche people think you're in the bag for Tampa Bay. So well, what happens, I think what drives that more than anything is, like, if you do a game in Colorado 
and they score a goal and the place is going crazy, you're going to sound more excited when they score. Yeah. Tampa Bay scores and nobody cheers and it's silence. I mean, you're yelling over the crowd in part to hear yourself. But yeah. so, you know, I'm not surprised. I'm sure usually that's usually where it goes, right? The, the first two games are someplace and people think you're biased for the home team. Uh, especially the fans of the visiting. Then you go to the other arena and you scream and yell for their goals. Uh, and then the other people think you're biased against them. So it all evens out, but I, I don't care. You know, I, that, I really don't. I, I, I don't care what people think about that because I know I'm not biased and uh, I don't care who wins. You know, I, I really don't. And I, if I did care, then I think that would be a problem, right? Because if you are kind of subconsciously cheering for one side or the other, uh, that could enter in your presentation. Really, the only time I ever have that problem is if I do a Syracuse game. <laughs> I love Syracuse. I mean, you know, I do a lot of Syracuse basketball games, and I find myself kind of fighting the urge to say, that was a lousy call, you know, and uh, it's to the point where I probably went too far the other way just to show that I was unbiased. Yes. Well, I mean, look for Tommy Heinsohn, so maybe it could have worked for you with Syracuse. Yeah, now that's different, right? When you're doing a local team's game, that's fine. You know, you can be a homer if you want. Uh, <laughs> You know, when I do the Red Sox games on WEI, it's totally okay if it sounds like we want the Red Sox to win, because we do. Yeah. You know, when you're a team broadcaster, that's an entirely different thing. But on a network level like this, especially games as big, games as big as the Stanley Cup final, you really need to be neutral in your presentation. The only thing I want to see is an exciting game, a close game. Um, and, you know, it would be great to have a seven-game series and have it come right down to the end. You really never Twitter search your name, even out of curiosity. To, really, that's. It's, I mean, that that's not true. Yes, I have. I've tr I tried, have tried to stop doing it. Okay. Then I do do it. Um, usually, you do it after you think you did a good job, right? <laughs> Didn't tick anybody I off. You did not. But yeah, but it's you know it's uh, the shameless name drop. Uh, Charles Barkley was here in Tampa for Game Three, and we got together for a little bit after the game. And there were some other people around and we got on the subject. Someone asked him why he doesn't do Twitter. And he gave an answer. And I said to him, Charles, I think you're the one who I remember labeled Twitter a place, the place where losers go to feel important. Good, good description. That, yes, that's exactly right. So I don't care. You know why? And I, this, again, is going to sound very self-serving. But, you know, you know, when you do this, you're going to get killed on Twitter. Right. Nobody got killed more than Joe Buck, who yes. I think is one of the great broadcasters of all time uh certainly has a resume unlike anybody else with all the super bowls and world series that he's done he just as you know got a huge deal to come here to espn <laughs> so yeah. it doesn't seem to have affected his career that people were crushing him on twitter so you know what i care about when i when i went earlier in the hockey playoffs it did search my name one time and it actually some of it earlier in the playoffs was positive the deeper you get it gets more negative because you're biased against your team but the <laughs> But at the same time, I was getting texts from Marv Albert and Gus Johnson and Kevin Harlan and Mike Breen and a lot of other people in broadcasting whose opinion I really respect. And it was all incredibly positive. So those are the critiques I care about. Dick Stockton, Vern Lundquist, not, I'm going to keep patting myself on the back. But my, the point I'm trying to make is, you know, when those people and some of those guys I barely know. Yeah. Um, you know, when they reach out to you like that to say, hey, you know, this is great, um, then yeah. Twitter can have at it. I really don't. Yeah, I don't know. Vern Lundquist, a random Twitter user, telling you, Derek, yeah. it's a toss-up. 
was a great hockey announcer. He's not best known for hockey, but yeah, people yeah. in New York, when you know he would do the Ranger games, said he was tremendous. And uh, you know, you probably have this in your life. There's certain uh, texts that you get that you wouldn't delete, and that's one yeah. of the are was so complimentary. It was, you know, it was nice. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that that's what matters to me. And my bosses, you know, I they've all Jimmy Pitaro's been has texted me and Norby Williamson and George Bodenheimer, who was the president of ESPN, all with very, very nice comments about how well they think it's going. So that's the only thing I care about. You mentioned Joe Buck and the massive deal he got from ESPN to do what he used to do, call Monday Night Football, and you see all these crazy deals around the NFL, you think, damn, you know, just stay in there and what? <laughs> I'm very happy with my situation. Um, you know, I've been blessed throughout my life to get to do a lot of what I wanted to do for a very long time. So, and I hope for, you know, a significant amount of time remaining. So I don't begrudge other people, you know, a lot of life is about timing. Right. And, uh, and obviously Joe and Troy hit it at the right time, but they're great broadcasters. You know, I feel bad Steve Levy and the other guys who were doing it. Cause I think they were doing a really solid job and I certainly know what it's like to leave. Um, but, uh, but, I've said a few times, Alex, if you told me six years ago, I think 2016 was my first year on Monday Night Football. Um, if you told me then you could have the choice between doing Monday Night Football or the Stanley Cup final, I would choose the Stanley Cup final. You know, they're champion. You know, it's uh, Monday Night Football is great. You know, it's it's an event in and of itself. Um, but there are all of them, you know, there are 16 of them, or whatever. There are regular season games. They're usually good games. Um, but this is, you know, this is a seven game series that's going to decide the champion of the sport. So yeah. uh, and as I said, I love hockey. I love calling hockey, hockey, the pace of hockey, what we talked about earlier, really makes it fun. Yeah. And I remember, too, uh, after you left Monday Night Football, you did an interview with us at EEI and you were talking about how much you couldn't wait to get back to the college game, too. Yeah, I like it more. I really do. And I don't mean that's not to disparage the NFL because I watch the NFL all the time. I mean, I'm a football fan, sports fan. One of the reasons why I love my job is, you know, people ask me all the time, what's your favorite sport to do? You've done all these sports. And I always say, what I like most is the variety. You know, if you ask me in football season, I'd probably say football. If you ask me right now, I'd say it'd be hockey. In a couple of weeks when we're doing baseball, you know, baseball's <laughs> off. So um, yeah, I just enjoy the, uh, the variety of it more than anything else. I'm curious about your opinion, too, just from being in the industry and everything. When you first saw Brady's $375 million deal, what were you, what were you thinking? I bet he would have done it for less. <laughs> I mean, you know, if he was willing to do it, would he have done it for $25 million? You know, like a certain part of these things, um, and I didn't really finish the answer to the previous question. You know, college football and the NFL are different. That's all. They're both. But, you know, I, I like the atmosphere of college football. I like the storytelling component that comes into college football broadcasting that really isn't uh, in the NFL. The NFL is very down to down, you know, at each play. Where in college football, because the audience doesn't know the participants, you spend more time organizing them, which I enjoy. But anyway, um, now I forget what this question was I was supposed to answer. <laughs> Just curious your thoughts on Brady and what you think. Oh, no, I, first of all, I think he'll be great. Um, I, I think we've seen since he left New England that he really does have an interesting personality. I think that will come out uh, on the Fox football. And he'll work hard at it. You know, he'll want to be the best. 
Um, Cause that's part of what's made him the greatest football player of all time, you yeah. know, and you know, the way he takes care of himself, you know, whatever he is, I've played golf with him. You know, he's a passionate golfer and, uh, and takes that very seriously. And so, you know, it's, uh, I think he'll be great. Uh, the money part of it, you know, it was worth it to Fox to do it. As I said, I was surprised it was that much. I, I think what happens in these deals is, okay, you pay Tony Romo, whatever, 18 million. So now I'm Troy Aikman, just pay me more than that. You know, it's, it's like in sports, right? <laughs> the quarterback signs the deal and he gets 35 million in a year. So the next guy gets 38 million and the next guy gets 40 million and whatever. And broadcasting's kind of becoming like that too. So I'm not surprised that Tom, you know, set the bar. I'm just surprised it was by so much. But then again, he's the greatest football player of all time. Yeah. And that brand ambassador part too. No, I mean, he's going to be an ambassador for Fox. Right, that's what I was saying. Like, what, like, how much value do you think there is in that? Oh, a lot. Yeah. I mean, you're trying to sell, uh, you know, a huge company, uh, you know, enormous deal to advertise on your football. I mean, we're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars, maybe more. Mm -hmm. um, and you need a closer, you know, taking those people to dinner with Tom Brady <laughs> right. would help. I don't know. You know, so yeah. it's just a guess. But I think there's value in that for sure. Yeah. Because you say on one hand, like, why does Fox need Tom Brady to convince people to advertise for the NFL? But they're competing with CBS. They're competing with ABC, ESPN. So I guess you're right to have that right. closure. And if it's a, if you, I don't think, you know, a company is going to say, well, we weren't going to advertise on your football. But then Tom Brady said we should. So now we will. I mean, I don't think that's going to happen. But I just think if it's a tiebreaker or even if it's a value added, you know, if you said to them, hey, you advertise with us and you know, you will go to dinner and you bring 12 of your most important clients or whatever, and we'll all sit around with Tom Brady, you know, there's value in that. I don't know 37 million a year worth of value in it, but uh, there's certainly value in it. All up and down the economic ladder, all jock sniffers, I guess. Because I think he's going to be great and uh, I'm excited to watch him. We're all jock sniffers up and down the economic ladder, I guess. You know, it doesn't, doesn't matter. Yeah, I like to think a rising tide lifts all ships, right? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Nice. When I saw Joe's deal, Joe Buck's deal, like, hopefully that's good, right? That just means everybody else is going to come up a little bit. Some of us who do this for a living hope, or it means he took all the money, <laughs> in which case that's not going to happen. But uh, we hope for the former, not the latter. With the insane money around, I think, I think you're all doing well. Um, I'll get you out here on this, Sean. You're 60 years old. You mentioned it. I wasn't going to mention it, but you mentioned it. So I, now I feel all right mentioning it. 60 years old. Is there anything... What is there anything you haven't done in your career yet that you really want to do, either broadcasting or unrelated? As you uh, uh, well, that's an interesting question. Um, you know, the when I got to Monday Night Football, my hope was that if I stayed long enough, we would get in the rotation to have a Super Bowl. You know, at the time I was there, we weren't in that. We, you know, there was no plan. There's no year that was already designated you have the super bowl in 2027 or whatever so but i was hoping that you know that would happen because the super bowl obviously is the biggest sporting event in our country and uh, one of the biggest in the world so the soccer people would say some of those events are bigger the world cup and, and they're probably right globally but um so that would have been nice but you know the list of people who've gotten to do the world series and the stanley cup or any two of the four the big four um, on national TV is pretty small. And, you know, when you add to it, I've had the chance to do three Olympics, 
all four of the major golf championships. You know, I've done, a, I think it's 10 or 11 different sports, 11 different sports on national TV. Um, so I, I don't really feel like there's anything missing. You know, if I wanted to get piggish, you'd say, yeah, I'd like to do the championship series or game in every major sport. Uh, but I've had a chance to do more than my fair share of those, you know, done the final four, women's final four. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm quite content. You know, if, if this hockey chapter is kind of what takes me toward the finish line, then uh, I hope we have a great run. We have it for six more years after this. So you know, would like to be a part of that till I'm 66 and then we'll see what happens from there. Yeah. Well, I was at the end of the road with the Stanley Cup playoffs and you're back up here to Boston. No rest, no rest for the weary. No, very little rest. You know, the max, the, the championship series, the Stanley Cup final can go is June 28th. And I think we started on May 2nd or 3rd. And uh, I have even more appreciation, Alex, for the players and the coaches because, yeah. you know, it's a grind for us. And we're just talking about the game, right? But uh, to be doing a game at the beginning of the playoffs, we were doing a game every night. You know, we would do a game. We'd fly the next morning someplace to a game that night, fly back, do game two of the series we did two nights before. Um you know, so even the teams weren't doing that. And then it's shocking that I got COVID in the middle of that after a little time doing that. It's COVID on my 60th birthday. Like oh, your 60th birthday is not depressing enough, right? And then and then I got COVID. There you go. <laughs> yeah, that was not, you know, not the happiest birthday anybody ever had. But to me, 60 is not a big deal. It's not a deal at all. I mean, I really you know, I'm, feel like I'm in good shape and try to take care of myself. But the... Uh, but I have a great appreciation for these hockey players. I mean, the New York Rangers played 20 games in uh, 40 days. Insane. And, yeah, with one day in between, obviously. And, you know, a lot of those in-between days are travel days. Okay. Yeah. The, you know, they're slamming into each other at high rates of speed. Everybody's battered and bruised. And uh, so the hockey playoffs, it's it's definitely a endurance test for everybody, including the broadcasters. Well, that's why we need to give you some time to recharge by the pool. So I'll let you do that, Sean. Uh, uh, good luck with your podcast. Yes. Thank you, Sean. This was great. I one of the first guests? Second guest. Second, second guest. Yes, second guest. Well, you're already going downhill quickly. <laughs> Who well, was the first guest? It's good to start high. I had an agent, Brad Blank, on. Talk about oh, that. I know Brad very well. He's a great guy. Most do, yes. Sean, this is awesome. Thank you, man. Hey, my pleasure. Anytime. Be so a big thanks go out to Sean McDonough for taking the time and coming on the show this week. As I said last week, against my better judgment, my Twitter DMs are open. So if you have any show ideas, guest ideas, hit me up there. At AlexStreamer1 is my username. That again is at AlexStreamer1. So long, everybody. We'll talk to you next Wednesday.